Good evening. We're ready to start. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we gather together around your living word for hope, for comfort, for instruction, for blessing, Lord, for renewal of our minds. We want to think thoughts after you, Lord, right thoughts that lead to blessing and a right understanding about who you are. And tonight, Lord, just some psalms that are, have caused some difficulties and They've been confusing. There are a lot of harsh words and angry statements, and, and we just want to understand them in light of your love and in light of the cross and in light of our uh, Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So not going to lie, um, one of the more, more satisfying moments in the new Beauty and the Beast movie comes at the end. Spoiler alert. All right. That wicked egomaniac, villainous uh, Gaston, Gaston, <laughs> whom the audience uh, has grown to despise, you know, a after he empties his pistol into the back of somebody we've come to actually like, um, after he does that, uh, he slips and falls, and he's clinging, as most of you know, clinging to the ledge, and a very well-timed earthquake uh, <laughs> knocks him to his rightful, well-deserved death. And my reaction was under my breath, and I probably said it out loud, loud enough for people to hear, because <laughs> that's what I do. I'm obnoxious, you know, <laughs> and I, I just went, bye-bye. <laughs> Who wants Gaston to hang around anymore? I mean, uh, it's one thing to be obnoxious. It's another thing to murder and to be vile and to be an oppressor and an abuser and all of that. And that, so, you know, I was glad to see him go. And, of course, uh, along with the rest of the audience, right? I mean, so that's the thing about human nature. Fallen as we are, we we still, there's a remnant having been made in the image of God by a God who's, who says justice and rightness is the foundation of my throne. So there's a remnant of what's right and what's just. And even the general populace, the population at large, still cheers when the bad guy gets his just desserts. Now, as Christians, wanting the bad guys to perish is tricky business. Now, amen? And are you ready to do some tight walk uh, <laughs> adventures? Um, because that's what it's going to call for. Now, uh, there are layers of this tricky business. Uh, number one, if God is to judge the bad guys, what about the bad in this guy? Got to be fair, right? Um, two, 
if we're not careful, there seems to be a fine line between uh, the uh, between a righteous desire for justice and a dark revenge and a desire, a lust to uh, avenge oneself. And, and that is always prohibited in the big time in, in the Bible, uh, even in the Old Testament. And so uh, how on earth uh, do we balance a, a right desire for evil to be defeated? How does that coexist with Jesus' call to love our enemies and pray for our enemies, not against our enemies, as some of the Psalms seem to do? Now, how are we going to do that? Well, welcome to spiritual trigonometry. <laughs> All right. Wednesday night. Now, as you, most of you know, we're in the Old Testament. And we're taking a look at the Psalms. And I've called it a survey of the, a survey of the Psalms. Um, Psalms, of course, 150 of them. Israel's hymn book, though God breathed. Poems set to music by Israel to worship God, but so much more than just a love song per se. Uh, well, I've got the chart, right? And the chart will help us go ahead and put that up there. So we've looked at seven kinds of psalms. We're not going to go through 150 psalms, but they fall kind of nicely into several categories. I've come up with seven. Uh, they're not cut and dried, but they're pretty good. Uh, hymns of praise. For example, Psalm 8, where, as we've been saying each week, are just just an awesome shout out to the greatness and goodness of God. God, you're awesome, and here's why. And then there's hymns of lament or complaint, and we've uh, checked there because we've already covered that. A good example of Psalm 13 is kind of, it's a bummer to be me right now. God, where are you? Why aren't you helping? We've talked about that. There are the... When I say hymns, I mean psalms or songs or prayers. They all kind of mean the same thing in this context. Hymns of testimony, how God intervened in a tough time and bailed us out. And so they're just psalms just saying, let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. And uh, that's so encouraging to hear those and to sing those as Israel did. And so uh, let's skip here down to hymns of wisdom. They're kind of the proverbs set to music, you know, wise ways to live. Uh, and then hymns of the Messiah, songs that were written, written prophetically about the life and work of Christ to come. And then hymns for special occasions, the, the favorite holiday classics, essentially what they were. And there's a check there because we've done them. So we finished two of the seven categories. And tonight we're at the hymns of provocation. They're, they're not really called provocation. Provocation is just an easier word, but it's really imprecatory psalms. And Psalm 5 was one of the examples, but we're going to look at some others uh, tonight. So that's where we are tonight. And so let's talk about this. Um, the imprecatory, imprecatory means, and theologians have come up with that word, um, to imprecate as a verb is to call down curses upon one's enemies. Yeah. I know, I told you this is going to be an interesting evening. Now, so um, uh, let me give you an example of some classic lines from some of the imprecatory psalms. Even the word imprecatory sounds angry. <laughs> imprecatory. <laughs> Stand back. 
Let death take my enemies by surprise. And he goes on, and I cut off the most harsh part of that. May they be swallowed up in the grave. I might as well just tell you before you start looking it up. <laughs> May their path be dark now to onto another psalm. That was Psalm 55 if you're listening on the podcast or whatever. Uh, May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Psalm 35, 6. And here's a good one. Break, sorry. Marianne, restrain thyself. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God, Lord. Tear out the fangs of those lions, Psalm 58, 6. So you get the, I mean, you read the Psalms. There's 30 of them, of the 150, that have a flavor and a bent toward uh, asking God, please, God, just do as you've promised and, and settle the score here. And so thank you for that. We can go to a blank screen. That's fine. Now, you know, I've, I've told you we were going to do some upper division math tonight, theologically speaking. Um, and we are going to look at some algorithms, you know, some patterns or processes to, for us to understand how this apparent paradox can be solved. Now, the, the paradox is a statement that's self-contradictory. Um, Wow, that's a hard one when you're looking at it. Oh, boy, it's going to be a long night. Uh, So a paradox, it it really contains two statements that are both true, but in general cannot both be true at the same time. So how am I supposed to pray these psalms? These psalms are praying against my enemies. And Jesus says, I want you to pray for your enemies, not against your enemies. And so it's the same God in in Old Testament and New Testament, though there might be a greater, more full revelation after Jesus appears and dies on the cross. And so we're going to try to understand this tonight. We're going to learn a lot from these psalms. They're beautiful truths, actually, as tricky and stark as they are. Uh, We're going to learn about God's nature. We're going to learn about the nature of evil and the devil. And really the coming kingdom, the future that awaits for me and for you. We pray every day we're supposed to be with the mindset of thy kingdom come, thy will will be done, right? And so we're waiting for that kingdom. So here's what I do. When we take a category of the psalm that we're going to say, this is a psalm that really typifies that category. So here it is. We're going to take a look at it. We'll read through it and then use it to kind of springboard into the whole genre of this thing called the um, provocative psalms or the psalms of provocation. Okay, here we go. So here's, here's a good one. Psalm 7. We'll just read through it. Oh, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who, who pursue me. Or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Oh, Lord, my God, if I've done this, if there's guilt on my hands, if I've done evil to him who is at peace with me or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Selah means stop and think about that. Uh, Verse 6 says... 
Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, almost high. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. Watch out. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Now, he who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils back on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So there we have it. Uh, We are going to take a look at, divide this psalm up into five really helpful, insightful considerations. And the first one is this. So we'll take verses one and two. O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me or they'll tear me up to pieces, into shreds, okay? So if you're taking notes, all such prayers and imprecatory psalms all arise from personal pain, fear, or suffering on account of evil. So this starts to make sense that in the psalms, we come to God with our emotions and our life situation, our struggles, how we're feeling, if we're feeling fear and terrorized and suffering and pain, of course, in worship, we bring that to him, and it's a comfort that's born out of suffering that God is a righteous judge, and he's going to deal with those who are inflicting uh, harm on others. And so uh, that's just a common way that these psalms start, is by recognizing, I'm hurting here, an injustice has occurred by evil hands, you know? And so this is a part of our Christian uh, life. We exist in a fallen world where evil dominates, where evil victimizes, uh, but will not prevail. And it's the but that not will not prevail part that ushers us into asking God to do what God has already promised to bring in a kingdom where only goodness dwells. That's a quote. Only goodness. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more evil. The Bible says you'll look around for evil, you won't find it. You will not find an evil person when Christ appears. There, that, that dispensation will have passed. And so, born out of a, ow, wow, my life, man, I've been targeted, I've been victimized, is this cry for a vindication of sorts. So, from the beginning, 
just a little bit of context here. Uh, the two forces, there have only been and always been two forces in this world. I mean, people like to say, what, there are thousands of languages and people groups, and there are several different kinds of uh, uh, races and ethnicities, but God sees us as two classes of people, saved and unsaved, his people or not his people, sheep or goats. He just has two ways. You're either in or you're out. And, 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 and since the very beginning from the Garden of Eden in, in Genesis chapter 3, that is when the contest between good and evil began. And so right there in the Garden of Eden, it, it was, <laughs> it's God and the devil, and God has his people, and the enemy will have his people. And even in the unseen realms, you just see there's this rift. And so God will say, after Lucifer takes that deadly shot at Eve, our mother, and then ultimately our father, Adam, when they went down, God said to Lucifer, oh, time is coming. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you to the devil, you and your people. I'm going to put enmity it means there's going to be a wall of divide. There's going to be some strife. There's going to be a clashing. There's going to be a separate se- a separation of values and destinies and, and, and all of this. He says, I'm going to put an enmity between you and your people and Christ, who's called the seed of the woman, and his people, his offspring. And so right from Genesis chapter 3, we're going to have two lanes of traffic and the bad guys are always going to be persecuting the good guys. And in this sense, it's the saved versus the unbelievers who are not saved. Now, it started right from the first, the, the, the union produced two boys. One belonged to God and one belonged to the evil one. And the New Testament said he belonged to the evil one, Cain. And so what Cain said, God said, listen, when you approach me because of what happened with your parents, you're going to have to bring some blood. You're going to have to bring, it's not about how good you are and what you do and what you can bring me. You've got to bring, i got to see blood. There's going to be a death on your behalf. And Cain said, no. I totally get what you want. I'm bringing my fruits and my veggies. Look at the great job that I did and I'm bringing it to you and you're going to accept it. And God said, no, I'm not. Look what your brother brought. Your brother obeyed me and brought a lamb and an offering for his sins. And that made him so mad. And God said, why are you so mad? Why don't you just do the right thing? To just do the right thing. And what did he do? The first unbeliever killed his brother, the believer. And it has been like that maybe depending on where you live and what time, right? We all got blessed because God chose to put us, in, and by the way, it says in Acts, uh, that in one of Peter's sermons, that God decided where we all fit in the spectrum of life. And God decided that we, we couldn't make it anywhere else, so we had to be born in this present age. And so we got it pretty good, but not so if you're trying to love Jesus in Iraq or Iran or in Russia and in most of the world. 
it's tough out there. And, and they're constantly seeing a need to say, God, you need to be my refuge. I'm going to get torn up. They took away my job. They took away my family. They took away my freedom. They took away my way to make an income. And they're going to take away my life. They're, I'm helpless. And, and he's going back to the days when he was a shepherd. And the bear would come in and take one of the lambs and just tear it to shreds. He's saying, I'm feeling like that lamb. God. And so born out of this sense of oh, just tiredness of the world coming in and um, the enemies uh, raging and making him feel so helpless. He's crying out. And that's just, can I, can I just show you the Christian version of the separation in uh, John chapter 15? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me, God speaking first. If you belong to the world, if you fit in, if you were like everybody else, worshiping yourself and the devil, it would, it would love you as its own. You're one of the guys. As it is, you don't belong to the world anymore, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's where your troubles. You, you changed lanes. You're walking the wrong way. They, you know, they're all going this way, and you've turned around, and you're saying, hey, wait a second, I, I sense danger down there. Go, let's go this way. And no, 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 we'll kill you. We'll kill you. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what do you think? Are they going to throw you a party? They killed me. You're running around with my name, saying the things I said, doing the things I did. And they killed me. Now, what are you, what are you hoping for? And be popular? Well, it's not going to work. And so that's the reason we get into trouble, and that's the reason. And so it's from the heat of the battle. We can go back to the verse. Thank you. It's in the heat of the battle. It's being out of breath, being out of energy, being wounded, bleeding, terrorized, watching watching your loved ones in, in pain and all of this, that this need for a refuge arises. And he's, he's saying, in essence, this is rough, scary. I'm hiding out in you, Lord, until you bust through the clouds and put an end to this nonsense. So the imprecatory psalms arise out of personal suffering. Let's move on. So that's the first point. Oh, Lord, my God, if I've done this, if there's guilt on my hands, if I've done evil to those who are at peace with me or if I've caused if, or without cause have robbed my foe, then, then let all this happen. If I'm guilty in this situation, then I deserve this. Then I'm not even going to ask you to do anything about it. If that's the case, I don't think I'm guilty of anything in this situation, but I'm going to leave it to you. And so the second point is imprecatory prayers or psalms, arise out of prayerful introspection first. Always you will find David checking his heart before he ever asks God to do anything to anybody. First, he'll always say, let me just kind of run a scan and check and make sure that I don't really deserve this because I already know that I was, A, conceived in conceived in sin. I was born in sin. He said, Psalm 51, surely I'm sinful in the inmost parts. That's what he says. 
So he knows, he's always saying, and, 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 and I'll say in other places, uh, he says, uh, sins over, my sins overwhelm me. They're too heavy for me. And another Psalm in Psalm 40, he says, there are more sins than the hairs on my head, right? Now, in my particular situation, <laughs> all right, so uh, the it, 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 first of all, he, he, there's an admission of guilt. There's a looking within. And so he says in Psalm 69, which is like king of the imprecatory Psalms, he says, you, God, you already know my guilt and my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. This is very interesting that Psalm 69 goes on to say, take them apart from limb from limb. But first he says, by the way, I know that I'm not guiltless. And you full well know every one of my sins. So that's just very interesting because he's saying, I, yes, I'm, I'm far from perfect. But in this situation that you're looking at right now, he's saying in this situation, it's unwarranted. It's evil harassment that came without cause. There's no justification for this. I just I noticed that he allows for the possibility for him to think, well, maybe I missed it because the heart, as Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful and wicked beyond all things. Who can understand it? So David himself will say, I can't understand my hidden faults. I have hidden faults. So he's asking God, hey, did I do something? And the two things he says, did I, do, uh, did I return evil? For kindness to a friend. That's a big Old Testament no-no. A ginormous sin in the Old Testament is to bite the hand that feeds, to turn on somebody that is doing good to you. That's just like unheard of, right? He said, if I did that, if, if to an ally, I stabbed him in the back, and then notice what he says, the other thing he says, or if I stole from my enemy. So even if I just got so mad at my enemy that I broke the rules and went ahead and stole his car, you know, then I would deserve. I would deserve it, even though the guy's a bad guy and I just wanted to get even with him, so I did something bad and stole something from him. He said, if I've done either of these two kinds of things and I'm a nasty person, and that, then I deserve to be treated nastily. Right? And so this is what he's, he's saying here. He's saying, search me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be an offensive way in me and lead me in the way uh, everlasting. And they're, they're, listen, it's ridiculous to ask the Lord to correct something in somebody else when you yourself need the correcting. So that's the spirit of self-evaluation before you go on a tirade with God about somebody else. So if you're saying, God, I can't believe she said that about me, he's going to ask you, what have you said about her? What have you said about other people? Have you ever just blown off steam and just said things that you would die if they knew you said that about them? Yeah, so you have to do a little self-check, right? You know, someone has stolen something from me, God. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Yeah, so you kind of know <laughs> what's up with that. This person's being mean and cruel and causing trouble. 
and you? That's the idea of all the imprecatory psalms. Always do a self-check and say, listen, because Jesus will say things like, listen, why are you so good at detecting the little speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes when there's a honking two-by-four hanging out of your face? Okay, there's a pole. There's a telephone pole hanging out of your head, right? And then you're that so-called expert on the piece of little tiny wood in somebody's, and you're going to go and say, oh, brother, let me help you with your tremendous fault. He says, you know what? First get the telephone pole out of your head, okay, out of your face, just remove it. Come on. That was funny. Get the pole out of your face, and then maybe you can see clearly enough to help them with the, uh, a little speck, all right? And so, yeah. So, so here's the point of what I'm trying to say. Is, and, and someone else, here it is, a quote. Nothing puts a desire to see justice meted out in right balance like a full knowledge of one's own propensity to sin and our own great need for mercy. So that's it, you know. So, I mean, here, let, let's, while, we're, while I've got you here, <laughs> Ephesians 2, uh, all of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest of the enemies, of the unregenerated, of the hell-bent sinners. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of God's great love, he intervened, he changed us, he's rich in mercy, not justice. I got mercy, so now I'm going to start to reflect on my own heart, my own sins, my own flaws, my own vulnerability, my own need for mercy, because he made me alive with Christ, even though I was dead in my sins. So maybe it's possible that God may want to do that in your persecutor's life, the person that you're all up in arms about. And so reflection is... Uh, is is necessary in the imprecatory uh, uh, psalms. And so continuing on, here's the big chunk now. The call for action. (laughs) Arise, O Lord, wake up. In your anger, rise up. Do something here. Distinguish between us and them. You could start with me and make a judgment, Lord. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. Watch out, because if he doesn't change his mind and you don't repent, there's going to be trouble for you. And so let's talk about this call to action. So imprecatory psalms also uh, in the Bible spring from a desire for God to prevail. Now, long story short, here's the spirit of these psalms. They're cheerleading God on to do what God himself said he would do for his people. What did God say to Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a nation, even though you can't have kids. Oh, so this is going to be my work. I'll make you into a a nation, and nobody's going to be able to count your kids, your descendants. And he says, listen, I'm going to bless those who bless you because they will be his people. And through his people, the whole world will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you. And what will I do? I will 
curse those who curse you. So all the imprecatory psalms are doing is asking God to do what you already said you were going to do. Now, if you do it in the right way, and it's prayerful, there are some ways to be able to read this and leave the responsibility of it all to God. And so that's sort of what's happening here. So a call to God to arise, it really means to awake. And, and it's a poetic way because we know God never sleeps or slumbers. The Psalms already told us that. I told you the story of living in Japan for almost four years. There was a shrine right by our house. And I asked my Japanese friend, what's the clapping about? They always clap twice and bow and then do their things. And they say, well, just end it with a straight face. Why do you clap? Straight face answer, perhaps the God is asleep. And it's like I was always very curious about that. What if you're really in a jam? And it's like nap time in heaven. So, yeah, it's showtime. And so anyway, uh, a call to arise. And what he's saying is, listen, convene court. God, we know it's coming. You know Armageddon's talked about, the great tribulation is talked about in the Old Testament. It's called the day of the Lord, the day of God's vengeance on a Christ-rejecting world. All through the Old Testament, right? So he's just saying, can it be today? Can it be today that you just bust through the clouds and, and the gavel comes down and you ascend to your righteous throne and we start seeing the promises and the blessing and the goodness and the justice established that's what and then so he starts start with me now he says let the people gather around the good guys and the bad guys and you the spirit of what you're looking at now is you make a distinction between us and them start with me look within and judge me by my righteousness now The word righteousness in the Bible always means put right with God. Judge me by my being right with you. Put right with you by my faith, like my father Abraham. Abraham, Genesis chapter, I think it's 15 and verse 6 that says, Abram believed God and it was credited to him. It was gifted to him to be right with God, righteousness. So because of nothing good Abraham did, and he's the father of us all, spiritually for the Gentiles and biologically for the Jews, the believing ones, we have one father. Because anyone who believes like Abraham believed and gets a gift of being right with God through nothing but trust is Abraham's child, as it were. Romans chapter 4 says that we're all his children who believe like Abraham. And so he says, start with me. Look in my heart. Judge me according to my righteousness. He's, he knows he's been put right with God. So look in my heart. What are you going to see? You're going to see an atoning sacrifice. You're going to see the Holy Spirit. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He says, and the Holy Spirit, not in, not in the Christian sense, the fullness of Christ coming and paying for sins and ascending and sending the Spirit, Not the fullness yet. But look in my heart. What are you going to see? You're going to see a new person, a new creation in Christ. You're going to see blood. You're going to see covering of my sins. And that's 
what makes us distinct. And so God, through the ages, starting with his people in Egypt, when he busted them out of Egypt with the 10 plagues, he tells Pharaoh, just so you know, I'm go- it's going to be black as night in Egypt. But in Goshen, where my people are, it's going to be broad daylight. Just so you know that I make a distinction between you, you guys and my guys. That's what he said. And he said it about three times through the whole ordeal. He says, you know what? There's going to be locusts. There's going to be locusts all over Egypt. But there's not going to be one insect in Goshen. Why? Because I make a distinction between the people of this world and my people. That's what he does. So David is just saying, make the distinction. I know. I trust. I know. You look into the secrets of the minds and hearts of men, and you know who belongs to whom. You know who's trusting in uh, themselves and who's trusting in the Lord, whose sins are covered, whose sins are not, who belongs to God, who belongs to the evil one. Jesus told the Pharisees. They said, Abraham's our father. And Jesus said to them, Abraham is not your father. The devil is your father because you want to kill me. And that's something Abraham would never do. So you can't be related to Abraham. You're more related to the devil because the devil's a murderer and you want to murder. So therefore, you're more like the devil. So what is he doing? He's making distinctions. And David's saying, judge us. And judge them. And if you could do it now, that would be awesome. <laughs> so so <laughs> that's what he says. Now, here's the, what's coming. And this is what the whole Old Testament. They, Paul is getting the stuff from the Old Testament in, in 2 Thessalonians. God is just. There it is. God is just. What's he going to do? What's this just God? This cry for God, be just. We need justice. Judge them. Start with me. Go to them. God is just. New Testament. He's going to pay them back. Pay them back trouble who trouble you, God's people, and give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, which is what David is saying, please, please, with blazing fire, with powerful angels. This is what they all wanted. He will punish those who don't know God. It's a willful ignorance and do not obey the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting is a big word. Destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be, and now here's the distinction. One, one, one people, they're going to be, one group's punished. Everlasting, eternal, destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord. And the other, on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. Holy means separated. There it is again. And to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And so, you know, the siren goes off. The police are coming, as it were. And there are two groups in the bank, the robber and the victims. And so when the siren goes off, there's a different reaction in both of those categories of people. Amen? And that's what David is saying. Do your thing. Let the sirens go off. 
come down, separate them out. And what does Jesus say? The funny thing. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to come back and he's going to distinguish and judge. He's going to say, you're mine. And you know how I know you're mine? Because of your deeds. Your deeds show that you had real faith. Go to my right. Over there. My sheep. And then the next guy comes up and he's going to say, and I don't know how it all works, but Jesus is speaking, Matthew chapter 25, and he says, you, to the left. The goats are on this side. And you know how I know that you didn't connect with me? By looking at your life. And he goes through their deeds. What is he doing there? He's judging. He's making a distinction. He's doing what David is just saying. Could you do that? I just, we're praying into it. We're looking forward. We know it's coming. And what's comforting any Christian or believer in God is that, that that day has to happen. One far off divine event toward which all creation moves. Yeats, so a line from Yeats' poem there. It has to. We are on a collision course with that. And so those imprecatory psalms are just saying, bring it. Bring it. <laughs> That's what they're saying. So now. Let me say this. As we wait, in the meantime, how do Christians say, bring it, and not grieve the Holy Spirit? Okay, number one, you can't curse anyone. You cannot call down curses on anyone. Those days, whatever was going on in those psalms, those days are over. Now, because of Christ, his death, his resurrection, he wants us not to call down curses on them, but to pray for them. That's what he says. What does he say? Even in the New Testament, we work hard with our own hands, Paul the Apostle. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Ooh, this is some information and revelation that King David wasn't privy to yet. Why? Because he lived a thousand years before Christ. He's not all the way in the fullness of the gospel light yet. And so now we know from David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is through his mother biologically related to King David. He's called the son of David. What is it? 28 generations. David is 28 great grandpa to the Lord Jesus Christ, through Mary. He didn't have an earthly father. He's the God-man. So it's really cool just how the revelation, the second thing we don't do, uh, yeah, we, so, so we don't curse Gaston. We don't pray against him. We pray for him. Here's Jesus. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So he's saying, listen, here's how the father is. He causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good, on the kind and the ungrateful, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He says, I want you to be loving and unconditionally kind and guard your hearts from bitterness, anger, malice, vengeance. Of, uh, vengeance. Leave that to God. He says, what I want you to do is not approve the deed. I want you to love the sinner, hate the sin. 
That's really hard to do, but that's what he, he wants us to do because we're in the age of grace. So let me show you a very terrible picture of ISIS, that famous one. I hate to ruin your evening by looking at it with the orange. Yeah, remember them? This is why the imprecatory psalms exist. To bring comfort to our hearts. But here's the caveat with Jesus and the good news and the gospel and the crosses that the bad guys' sins have been atoned for and all that needs to happen is that one of them in the black has a change of heart. Just one. And they have. They have. There's more than just one who's seen the light. God knocks him off the horse, gets the dagger out of his hand, and now he's preaching Christ. Of course, they want to kill him now, but it's, that's only right, too, because of what he did. But So check this out. One of them. Is that the Apostle Paul disguised? The Apostle Paul was Saul, the terrorist, who was actively killing people like you and me. And he turned out to be, unbeknownst to everybody around him, who hated him, who were praying imprecatory psalms on him. And what happened to him? God said, hey, wait a second, he's a brother. Not only is he a brother, he's the best Christian to ever live. He will write 13 New Testament books, and he will evangelize the Roman Empire almost single-handedly. But guess what he did before? He's one of them. And, and more like them than you would think because they think they're doing it in the spirit of God and praise unto God. They say praise God before they kill you. And Jesus said a time is coming when people will praise God and think they're doing a service of worship to God by killing you. Jesus already said they're coming and that's what they're going to do and they did. Now Jesus said I want you to do some spiritual pull-ups and push-ups and calisthenics. And take some supplements, because you're going to need them. <laughs> I want you to pray for them. Ooh. Jonah said, no. I'd rather take a boat to Tarshish, the end of the earth, than to go there. And let me just tell you this. I just got goosebumps, because Jonah fled away from going to Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul. Mosul is right now being fought over by these guys. These are the ancestors of the Ninevites who, these are the ancestors of the Ninevites who Jonah was fleeing from because he said, I know how you are. If I go and preach, one of them might get saved and we can't have that. <laughs> because I don't want to hold hands and sing, bind us together, Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together in love. No, I'm not seeing that. So God said, okay, we can do it my way or your way. Throw them over. Okay, so therein will lie the battle. None of us will have an easy time at this, but we can just say, you know, Lord Jesus, come. Save those guys. Now, in heaven, the martyrs in the tribulation who die, and there will be millions, 
the church is removed, the Antichrist comes, and millions of Christians who will not take the mark of the beast, whatever that is, they will end up getting their heads cut off. Interesting that it's the heads cut off. Hmm. I wonder what that could, who could be involved there. So um, in heaven, they pray a prayer. And it's asking God from heaven for vengeance on those who spilled their blood. Now, yes, how long, how long? Come on, get this done, God. Go after them and avenge our blood. I'm going to make a suggestion to you. The only ones that you can get rid of those guys, please. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the only ones who can really safely pray that kind of prayer is when you're already out of this body <laughs> and in your new body. I, I just think if you're going to pray, God, avenge, I think you just do it from there. <laughs> And, and, and that will not be an option for us because we go on an early flight and before all hell breaks loose, Jesus said, what did Jesus say? He said, oh, when, when I come, people are going to be going to weddings and going out Friday night and having dinner parties and going out to eat and drinking. Trans, uh, transactions of uh, business will be happening. And then, boom, like that. That can't happen during the tribulation when a third of the world's on fire and no one can drink the water and the mountains are disappearing into the sea. Nobody's thinking, hey, are you going to go to the wedding? You know, No, not going to happen. And so all of that to say, the imprecatory Psalms balanced with the gospel <laughs> really says, God, come, Maranatha, may evil, and listen to this, the third and final little application I want to say, and, and we've got more, don't we? The next, let me just sum it up so you don't feel cheated. There's, uh, he who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. You were thinking you were going to be content with doing the evil, but after sin has its way, and you do the evil, you're in trouble. So imprecatory psalms always have a warning to those who are being evil. And he's saying, if you dig a hole, you scoop it out, you can fall into the pit you made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. So here's a little bit of mercy. The imprecatory psalms always say, hey, dude, wake up. Don't do this. It's going to be bad for you. You're going to fall off the cliff. So there's a little extension of some love of sorts to warn everybody about the folly of the death cycle. James chapter 1. You conceive the temptation. It becomes death. You give birth to death. It's a death cycle, right? And so the last thing in precatory Psalms conclude with, on a positive note, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. And so... These imprecatory psalms conclude with joy. They rejoice with the goodness of God. There's a young new believer who said to me once, and I always found this kind of interesting. He said, I'm glad that God is a good God. 
and all, I, I was like, I never thought that thought before. I just kind of always assumed God would be good, right? But he was thinking, wow, I'm just glad, whew, I'm glad that it turns out that the one who's in charge is as good as God, you know? And I just thought, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, so, so he's, uh, David is just saying, let's rejoice even though we're not yet there. We have a good God who's protecting us. He's working through all things for our good. And one day he's coming. And that place, man, here's why he's rejoicing. He says, you know why I can sing to God and praise? No more moral defilement, no more crime, no more violence against women. You read stories about kids and women. No more murder, no more war, no more sin, no more deception, no more pain, sorrow, death, or mourning. These are the reasons I sing. To praise God for. And he's glad that God gets fiercely anger, angry with, when evil strikes and that God has a plan to destroy it forever. And he's happy to know that there, the world that's coming is a place where nothing impure will ever enter only the home of goodness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you, Father, for these words of encouragement. And Lord, help us find the balance. We just want to keep it simple and keep our hearts clean. And even when they get all uh, bent out of shape, Lord, Help us to express our hearts in ways that please you. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.